0: Hello and welcome to the National Secular Society podcast. You are listening to part 8 in our series of interviews, Exploring Religious Freedom. I'm Alistair Lichton, Head of Education at the NSS and in this series I'm speaking to a variety of activists and experts about what religious freedom means to them, what are its limits and how might it be abused. Today I spoke with Izzy Poson, a speaker at our upcoming conference, Secularism 2019. I'll let Izzy introduce himself and I'll be back at the end with a few closing thoughts. Enjoy. Izzy Posen, welcome to the NSS Podcast. Hi, good morning, Alistair. I'm very happy to be here. Cheers. Uh, Maybe you can start by introducing yourself and your story to the audience. Sure. So my name is Izzy Posen. I grew up um, in East London in an
1: area called Stamford Hill, which is in Hackney. Um, People who have walked past the area or drove past the area uh, would notice that Um, It's an area heavily populated by a specific uh, community of ultra-Orthodox Jews known as Hasidic Jews. Um, They're recognizable by by distinctive dress and distinctive customs. They also largely speak Yiddish, uh, not English. Um, So I grew up there. I attended schools there until the age of 20. Um, Most of the schools I attended were were illegal schools, and that's what I'm going to be talking about at the conference. Um, and we didn't have any secular education. We didn't learn any English. We didn't learn any maths or any science. Uh, we just spent the whole day studying uh, Jewish Orthodox texts. Um, we were also hit in school and other unsavory and unpleasant things happened to us. Um, I, at the um, Throughout my teens, I started questioning um uh, some of the religious dogma, and I wanted to expand my horizon. so i I taught myself English. Uh, I started reading a little bit of science and maths. And eventually, by the time I was twenty, uh, through my through my getting to learn science and starting to have a more critical view on 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 the Jewish dogma I was taught, I came to um to lose my faith. Uh, I left the community and started life outside of the community, which was very challenging. And I'll, I'll be talking about that as well. And I uh, eventually, I, I well, I, when I left at 10, 20, I had two GCSEs and A-levels because I had no qualifications. Um, and three years later, I was in university where I'm currently studying. I do physics and philosophy, I'm in second year. Um, I also started um, the Bristol Free Speech Society here at university, so people can have rigorous um, discussions about sensitive and difficult topics, because I believe ultimately that is the point of, of heresy. It's not only about
0: questioning religious dogma, it's questioning all dogma. Uh, so this is where I am now. Well, and, and thank you. And I think that story will be inspiring to anyone who's faced educational back, uh, been pushed back and had to you know, build up, them, build up themselves and overcome difficulties. Um, given your experiences, what does religious freedom mean to you? Religious
1: freedom means to me the, the idea that people uh, have the freedom to choose what they believe, and how to express their beliefs, and it applies both to religion and to secular people. So uh, you know, as 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 we like to say in in secular circles, freedom freedom of religion means also freedom from religion. Um, so it's freedom of association, freedom of thought, uh, and it's the idea that it shouldn't be uh, the what we believe, and what we think, shouldn't be top down. It should be bottom up. So um, people should should be able to go out there, explore question things come up with their own ideas and believe what they want uh, well of course as long as it's not dangerous not uh, not violent uh, believe what they want and and come to design their own life um based on their own ideas and, and their own worldviews
0: hmm. conversations about freedom of slash from religion often overlook when religion is being imposed on members of the community uh, by the wider community rather than I think we all sort of recognise the problem when one person's religion is being imposed on someone who doesn't share that religion. But when you have a religious community, but there's that top-down imposition within the community of their of the religious of their religious ideas, that's often not seen as a freedom of and from religion issue. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's it, I think it's it's actually a, a quite complex.
1: Issue. It's it's not. It, people like to see it as as simple. You know, freedom is freedom, but actually, people's freedoms clash. We, we philosophers have been grappling with this issue since times of antiquity. People's freedoms clash. My freedom to do something can often clash with yours. You know, take a radical example, which is almost absurd, but it shows the problem. If I want to say I have the freedom to do anything, including slapping you, then I'm infringing of your freedom of not being slapped. Now, the solution is well. Use your freedom, but not to infringe on mine, on, on my freedoms. Well, the, the problem is, what? How do you define my freedoms and your freedoms, and and what happens when they overlap? So, classical example, which we're seeing now, um, in, in, in 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 schools which is a very topical issue at the moment, is religious communities will say that um, people coming into schools and, you know, and, and teaching acceptance of, of of minorities, of LGBT people, is infringing on their religious freedoms. Well, the LGBT community will say actually kids growing up not knowing that LGBT people exist infringes, well, both on their freedoms as a community to, to you know, to feel safe in this country and also on the potential freedoms of the kids growing up who who by you know by by law of large numbers and by percentages are, are some of them are likely gay. So the question is, um the question is 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 not so much, you know, should we have religious freedom, which I think everyone agrees with. The question is where to draw the lines. And it is a complex question.
0: What can people who are not part of specific religious communities, and here I'm particularly thinking of ultra conservative religious communities, and if you're not from that background what can you do to support people in your position or your former position?
1: So there are various charitable organisations set up to help people who leave communities. Now, uh, uh, I want to point out that these are absolutely vital. People who leave very restrictive communities, like myself, um, they they absolutely need outsiders' help. They they are they they they're told all their life that. Uh, there, there is no life outside of the community, and they won't make it, and they're, and they're, they're not given the skills to make it outside the community. Um, and in my in my own case, if not for a charity called Mavar, so it's a Jewish charity set up, set up to help um, ex-Haredi, ex ultra Orthodox Jews. If not for them, I would not have been able to make it out. So I think the first things that uh, the first thing that secular people can do is help and support these charities. These charities uh, need money to help um, to help people leave they need volunteers to uh you know uh, b- basic things as teaching uh, t- teaching people english teaching people about relationships i grew up in a community where for for for, se- for since the age of 13 i wasn't allowed to speak with any women and you know leaving that into the world we, we need mentorship we need we need uh, we need to be, be taught effectively how to make it in the secular world so these charities rely a lot on 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 volunteers and and on donations so that's i think a, a really good way in which people can help these communities. Uh, there's another charity that I know in the wider community called Faith to Faithless. Um, I know the director; um, he's a friend of mine, and that's also a, f- a fantastic charity that people
0: can help. When someone has missed out on a basic education as a result of you know being in a in a specific very narrow community, does the state have a responsibility to then prov- to make sure that they do get that right to education later in life? Oh, I wish that was the case. I mean, if only, if only the government would pay for my, uh,
1: for my, uh, for my education that I had to do later than everyone, that would be fantastic, and I, and I wouldn't be in so much debt as I am now. Um, I, I assume, I assume to make that come about would need, uh, would need significant lobbying, and I don't think the community of, of ex fundamentalist religious people is large enough to make that happen. But I would say yes. And I know there are case, I know in Canada, a friend of mine who grew up in a Hasidic uh, education system and, and he didn't get an education. He's, he is suing the state and he's effectively saying, look, you had a responsibility to protect my rights as a kid. You didn't. I didn't get an education. Uh, now I'm suing you for the damage. First of all, give me an education. Secondly, I've gone many years without being able to find a job because I don't have skills. Um, compensate me for that and I think that's a decent argument the case is still going on and I'm very curious to see what the outcome is but I do think and, and, and uh, this is uh, myself and fellow ex-community members do feel let down by the local authorities because the local authorities have known for decades that um, thousands of Stanford kids are missing from the radar they're not registered in any schools and they're not being homeschooled And they didn't do anything to prevent that. So uh, it's not entirely their fault. It's the community's fault as well. But as local authorities who need to protect kids, they should make sure that kids get an education, a basic education. And they failed with regards to myself and my friends. So um, should the government make sure we get an education late in life?
0: Uh, I'd love to see that happen. I don't think it's realistically going to happen. Because I've seen local authorities that say, just because a child is going to an illegal, unregistered school doesn't mean that they're not receiving a suitable education. Uh, and I I suspect uh, one aspect of this may be that if you have thousands of children or potentially tens of thousands in spread over local authorities who are attending illegal, unregistered schools, if the local authority were to take strong action on that, then they'd suddenly have the responsibility and that and they don't have the school capacity to take on the numbers of the children who have previously just been slipping through the net
1: well that's well that's why we have local authorities and that's why we have governments and that's why governments have money to do the things they are obliged to do by law i, I don't think it's an excuse uh that it would be difficult for them yes it would be
0: difficult that's why they are powerful that's why they're government to they do difficult things mm. Is there a, t- a danger in tackling some of the problems we're seeing in very conservative, independent faith schools? This is registered, legal ones. That we might end up driving more people into the illegal, unregistered sector, or simply just not getting any education at all.
1: Yes, there is, and and this needs to be uh, this needs to be approached very carefully. I'm by no means an expert. All I know is my own experience of attending an illegal school and being a member of the community. So I know how the community thinks in, in this regard, and and it's important that uh, govern- governmental bodies and local authorities who deal with these issues are intimately familiar with the ways of thinking, so they don't misstep. Um, and for example, one way in which the community thinks in this regard is they have they have this vision, which is rooted in ancient mythology, going back thousands of years, of their community of you know the, the god fearing Jews as being a force of good in the world persecuted by the forces of evil. And the forces of evil are anyone who interferes with their with their way of life. And they have this, so for example, Hanukkah is a festival that, uh, well, all Jews celebrate, but Alt Orthodox Jews have a narrative around it. So the narrative is that there were these evil Greeks who tried to Hellenize um, the Jews in Israel. And, um, and the interpretation of Hellenizing is that make sure that Jews no longer serve their God in the way they see fit. And the story of Hanukkah for them is that the Jews fought back and won. Um, and the way they fought back is by being uncompromising and by carrying on to, 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 in, in their way of life and, and, and their observances um, and fighting back against a mighty army. And, and the message they take out from this story is that there's always people who, wanna, who, who want to interfere with our way of worshipping God. And we fight back and God helps us and we win. And this is exactly the narrative they have towards governmental bodies like Ofsted and the Department of Education. They see any interference by Ofsted as these evil forces trying to, to, uh, to, to secularize the Jews, trying to make them no longer be observant in, their, in the way they see fit. And they are very, very stubborn in fighting back and nothing uh, stops them and, and no tactics are out of bound. They, they, you know, when it comes to these things, usually they're law-abiding citizens. But when it comes to these things, when they f- when they perceive threat to their religious observances, uh, there is no law. There's there's nothing is is out of bounds. And and yes, you're right. They they will get. Uh, it can drive people to become more extremists. It can drive more schools underground. Um, but the question then is: it, it, this doesn't mean that government should give up, this doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye. All it does mean is that we should be very sensitive and very careful in how to address these issues. Um, so the government needs to be clear that it does not want to interfere with with their observances, with their ways of, of religious practice. It does not want to secularize them. All it wants is that kids get uh, some, some form of secular education. Now, this is very difficult for two reasons. First of all, that for many within the ultra-Orthodox community, even spending time in the day to get a secular education is a, is, is, a, is in itself against the religious faith. So there's an idea within ultra-Orthodox Judaism that boys need to dedicate every second of the day to the study of the Torah, the religious law. And spending time on secular education is against the faith. Now, so this means that inherently the second the, second the government asks for basic, basic secular education, they're already... Uh, the the community is already up in arms. A second problem is that, of course, we know that uh, there are other things besides, for basic sex education, that we want kids to know the so called British values. So we want kids to grow up in the country, to to uh, to not think that the rest of the country is evil, to be able to interact with people outside the community, and to know that there are people different to them. You know, to get to know people from different faiths, from di- different sexual orientations, and this is directly. Uh, uh, well, uh, at least they perceive it that way, a direct affront to their ways of life. So, for example, the the Haredi community is now is now up in arms against the Department of Education, for, um, for, sorry, for against Ofsted, for requiring that they teach uh, relationship and sexuality uh, classes um, and, and we know with this uh, the 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 fights in Birmingham between the Muslim community and schools has made it into the news, um, but uh, the ultra orthodox fights uh, have not so much made it into the news. But they but they go and gone at the very same time at, at this very moment. Um, there are big rabbinical councils being set up and, and discussing what can we do. Um, so I, I I don't think there's a simple solution. This is this is a conflict that's always going to be there. I unfortunately I have nothing to offer in terms of a solution. All I can say is that we can't ignore it; it's a problem, and we need to think. I mean, when I say we, I mean the government uh, or the governmental bodies need to sit and think and consult the community and consult people who left the community who know the community and figure out the best strategy forward. Um, but
0: as I said, I don't think there's a simple solution. Mm. In a blog of mine, I called this weaponized unreasonableness, and you know, if you start by making yourself deliberately unreasonable then if you if you start from the point of view that anything is an infringement on your religion then it's very difficult to find some sort of compromise yeah yeah exactly so so the thing you you spoke about earlier about
1: you know freedom of religion freedom from religion and i said that you know if freedoms overlap freedoms clash this is a perfect example because on the one hand part of being a liberal democracy is the is is the idea that people can practice their religions freely but in order for that to function we also need people to agree that others can practice their religion freely and 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 to to buy into the basic premise of liberal democracy so what do you do when you have communities uh, for whom their idea of religion is the negation of liberal democracy you know this is karl popper the the 20th century philosophy called this the, the paradox of tolerance you know how do you tolerate those who don't tolerate you? You want to be tolerant, you want to tolerate everyone, but then there are people who, 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 who don't want to tolerate you. So do you tolerate them to, to allow them to not tolerate you? And I think this is what's happening. So there are religious communities who, whose basis, basic premise is, is anti-liberal and anti-democratic and they expect a liberal democracy to protect their rights to be anti-democratic and anti-liberal. And the, 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 at some point, there's going to be a clash and, and the difficult question we need to figure out as society is where we draw the lines. Where do we? Where do we say, well, we're no longer we can no longer tolerate that. That's against our basic
0: values. And where do we? And where do we say, you know what? Yes, go ahead. We don't like it, but you know, it's your right. Yeah, and that is, I think, the crisis of liberalism and the const, and the constant back and forth and trying to find that correct balance. I mean, take take parental rights. I don't think it'd be possible to have any sort of liberal pluralistic secular democracy that didn't respect parents rights to raise their children in accordance with their beliefs in a broad sense but if you look at one end of the sort of a scale between you know raising your children in a faith tradition and complete 100 indoctrination there's got there's got to be somewhere along that line where the balance of rights tips too far one way or the other. You know, uh, a, a, if a, a parent's taking their child to synagogue, that I think you could, you, it'd be almost impossible to argue that that was infringing on the child's rights, the child's independent rights, and to prevent that would be definitely infringing on the parents' rights. Uh, if you lock them in a cupboard under stairs all day and only let them read. Uh, only only let them read the Torah for 24 hours a day that we'd all agree that's too far but there there needs to be sort of somewhere along between those two points where the balance begins to tip is it possible to draw a definitive line or is it just a constant spectrum
1: right you're right I absolutely agree and I'm, I'm skeptical about the possibility of drawing a clear line it might be a very wiggly line you know uh, drawn around arbitrary cases but i mean in, 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 so in, i was grow I, I was brought up to believe that you know if you deviate from the commandments you go to hell right and and hell is literal hellfire and it's pain and and kids are taught uh, taught about hell in in the most in, in the gory details right now i would argue that that is child abuse that is psychological child abuse you're telling a child a young child that if they don't follow exactly what the adults tell them they're going to be tortured how is that not child abuse but on the other hand how can you possibly enforce that how can you how can you tell how can you make sure you know let's assume it was illegal to tell children that you know they're going to be tortured in hell i think it should be but how how are you possibly going to enforce that how can you make sure that the parent doesn't in the privacy of their own home teach that to kids but yeah, there are
0: many, many other examples. And if you were to enforce that, you would be imposing potentially a greater, a far greater illiberalism through that.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I I definitely think there should be some things that should be illegal to, to tell your kids. I mean, if if you you know we we know for example, parents can't tell the kids that they have a duty to kill unbelievers, right? That would be against the law. Um, and I think, as you said, it is a spectrum. But I think that some forms of harmful indoctrination um should be uh, well i don't know if it should be illegal because you can't enforce it but we, we should be very suspicious of them and i don't think parents should have the right to 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 bring up their kids that way
0: i guess it's partly that we're changing you know, there was a time that we viewed parents as a property of their i was gonna say property of their parents but really the property of their fathers and we've you know we've evolved and changed that view and we're moving towards a view of children as independent right holders but that does mean that you are going to get a clash of rights and you're going to get you know sort of messy uh, issues and where do we draw the, and where and not just one where to draw the line question but thousands of where to draw the line questions absolutely and and i think society figures this out as it goes along um, and society
1: evolves i mean at one point we used to think that slaves are property of the owners right and, and and then a big shock came when government told people, you, you can't do with your slaves whatever you want. In fact, you can't even have slaves to begin with. And I'm, I assume, I don't know, but I assume people must have thought of that in, in the same shock as people might might think nowadays uh, when, when they're told that kids are not their property. People may have said, what do you mean? I, 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 the, the, this family of slaves have been, in, have been in my family for generations. Of course, they're ours. Right, and I think, and I think, when when we move to a perception of viewing kids not as property but as people with independent rights, I assume there's going to be the same shock. But at the end of the day, we're, we're going to have to, if we evolve as a society in that direction, that's what we're going to have to say that yes, kids do not belong to their. I mean, parents have have a right to educate their kids, but kids are not property of their parents.
0: Mm. Can there be any sort of reconciliation between ultra-conservative religious communities and secularists or genuine advocates of religious freedom? No, no, they can't. They can't. The very inherent idea behind ultra-conservatism is
1: that that people don't have a right to live the way they want um, and and to choose their own beliefs. Ultra-conservatives... are very dogmatic in their beliefs they they believe with absolute certainty um in 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 whatever they believe and whatever god they believe whatever faith they believe in and they don't believe in, in in that kind of choice they believe that you know god created you you have to follow god and if you don't follow god you're heretic and and, and there's a spectrum what do you do with a heretic so in in some islamist um communities they believe you you literally have to kill a heretic fortunately in my community they didn't believe that uh, they should kill heretics they believed god will will do the work for them but they do believe that they don't believe in choice when i left my community nobody said well you know what just leave it's your choice they said you can't you're going to hell you're, you're a sinner you're an apostate and i think that clash is always going to be there with secularism because the very idea behind secularism and by the way i use secularism broadly. secularism can, you, the, you can be a religious secularist right secularism is the idea that is this very idea that people choose their beliefs and that people live the way they want to live and uh, most religious people i would argue are secularists in that sense most religious people um, um well at least liberal religious people would 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 say that the government should be secular there should be separation between church and state and so on um but when you come to ultra conservative religion they they reject the very premise of secularism. Um, and I, I don't see how there can be reconciliation there.
0: Is there no way to sort of just kind of crack that barrier and begin to open that conversation through the route of say, well, well, you don't want other people's religion imposed on you. So in return for not having others religion imposed on you, we're going to take away your ability to impose yours on other people. And I mean, certain ultra-orthodox uh, religious communities, uh, uh, to be fair, have no interest in imposing their religion on outsiders. They've th- th- and you know would even say that of course it'd be wrong to impose, uh, say, ultra-orthodox Judaism on people who are non-Jews, but it should be imposed on people who are.
1: Right. So that's that's not so much a matter of them being you know more open and more secularists and and you know i'm more more liberal and progressive they don't impose their religion on others it's a, it's a question of dogma so jews don't believe that so this is quite different this is where judaism differs quite a bit from christianity and islam judaism doesn't believe that everyone should be jewish right where christianity from what i understand does believe that everyone should be christian and believe in christ and i think to some extent islam also believes in, in proselytizing in that, in that way, maybe to a less extent. But Judaism doesn't believe in proselytizing. Judaism doesn't believe that everyone should be Jewish. Judaism, well, at least uh, when I say Judaism, I mean uh, Orthodox Judaism, believes that every Jew has to be observant. So um, when it comes to imposing beliefs, ultra-Orthodox Jews definitely and absolutely want to impose their beliefs on other Jews. So for example, Israel, the current state of Israel is a secular state. Um, it was founded by atheist Jews. Um, but there's a growing ultra-orthodox community, and they absolutely want to impose their religion on others. They lobby the government to make sure that highways, motorways, are closed on on the Sabbath, uh, on the rest day, um, and they lobby the government to make sure that restaurants have to be kosher and that marriage is done through the rabbinate, um, the rabbinical council. So they they absolutely want to impose their beliefs on others. It's just a matter of conf- uh, a matter of dogma, an accidental matter of dogma that they don't believe that non-Jews. to be Jews. Um, um, But in in general, the the view is not secularist, the view is one of imposing views on others. And the argument you made, um, which sounds, you know, reasonable to to, to most of us, the argument that, you know, look, you don't want others to impose their views on you, then don't impose yours on others. This argument makes sense from our perspective as secularists, because we don't believe that the dogma in question is true to begin with, but imagine me being—and this isn't imagine—I've had these discussions with people, and this is what they say: they say, "Well, I don't want others to impose their views on me because those said views are false, right? So I don't want false views imposed on me. But I do want to impose my views on others because my views are the truth, right? So when you deal with dogmatic sets of beliefs and and by dogma, I mean people who think that their views and their views only are the truth. Then they, for them, there's, there's an asymmetry here. Other views are false. Therefore, I don't want them imposed. So Jews will tell you, I don't want Christianity imposed on me because Christianity is false. But I absolutely do want my brand of Judaism imposed on other Jews because my, my brand of Judaism is true. So this
0: argument fails uh, for a dogmatic mind. Well, Izzy, thanks very much for your time. And before you go, we always like to ask our guests, are there any books or films that do a good job of exploring religious freedom that you'd like to recommend?
1: So there's one book that uh, comes to mind immediately. It's a book written by a fellow ex-Hasidic Jew called Shulam Din. It's called All Who Go Do Not Return. He chronicles his, uh, his, his upbringing in a Hasidic community in Brooklyn, New York, and how he left. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And he's a really good writer as well. Um, in terms of films, um, there is a good series, but unfortunately it's in Hebrew. It's on Netflix now with English subtitles, actually. So if people want to watch that, they can watch that. It's called Shtissel. Um, it's not about people leaving the faith per se, but it's about uh, uh, ultra orthodox Jews in Israel, and it's very enlightening on the culture. If people want to watch that, it's very it's very accurate and it, and it gets the nuances right, which is which is quite rare in in on TV. There's also an amazing Netflix show called One of Us, uh, which chronicles the journey of three young Hasidic Jews leaving their community. It unfortunately has quite a tragic ending where all three. Uh, end up in quite difficult circumstances due to the community shunning them so i just point out uh, that caution is needed that some people make the journey successfully and are very happy um, but that is a case a uh, more sadder case an unfortunate case
0: okay well we'll have links to all of those in the show notes izzy thanks so much and we look forward to seeing you at the conference looking forward as well well listeners i hope you found that interesting People like Izzy who have made a journey from one religious community to another or in or out of uh, such a community often have these unique insights. There will be links to the organisations and films Izzy mentioned in the show notes, and we'll also have links to our work challenging illegal unregistered faith schools and abuses within registered independent faith schools. Some of the investigations make for shocking reading. Before we go, I want to give Secularism 2019 a last plug. This is our major upcoming conference at the Tower Hotel in central London on Saturday 18th of May. If you haven't booked your ticket yet or are undecided, let me give you a few reasons to come. First, you can hear more from Izzy and our internationally esteemed lineup of speakers, including our keynote address from Rachel Laser, CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and my guest on episode 2 of the podcast. For a full day conference with lunch, refreshments and awards ceremony all in a premier venue you'll be hard pressed to find better value for money. Student tickets are £10, LSS members can get a ticket for just £25 and even non-member tickets are great value at £50. We will start to find out our tickets soon so please visit secularism.org.uk forward slash 2019 and I hope we'll see you there if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend Um, if you hated it please share it with an enemy and if you're in between maybe listen again seriously though if you want to support the nss our campaigns work and future podcasts please consider joining or donating today at secularism.org.uk forward slash join until next time i'm alistair lichton thanking you for listening goodbye